I wanted to ask, by the way, I'm allowed to swear, aren't I? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Just any hard, like really harsh ones we uh, bleep. We tend to edit out, don't we? Yeah, we edit out. <laughs> we edit out. Ah, oh, okay. The mass majority of people do not like that word. Mm-hmm. They find it is vile. Okay. It is a dastardly word. We do not like that word. Our ancestors didn't use it, and we shall not either. Hello, and welcome to the Idiots Anonymous podcast. We're two Scottish engineers that graduated during COVID, and this is the show where we, along with our guests, take everyday life and make it a little bit more complicated than it originally was, which grants us the title of Idiots. Idiots. So to start off the introductions, I'm Ruri and I'm an idiot. Hello, Ruri. Hi, Ruri. Hi. So I'm an idiot this week because back in the day, I trusted my two younger siblings with my copy of Lego Star Wars. <gasps> and um, both times, they completely reset my progress to nothing. And that's including oh. all the extras you go find, all the... I was so close. Collected all the mini kits and everything. Collecting all the mini kits. Yeah. Completing everything, getting all the characters, even the secret ones. And they reset me to to nil twice. So did you loan them this game to their console? Or was it one of the ones where it's like a a, a memory card? So you have to like pass about the memory card? Memory card. We were we were a but a but a simple family with only one PlayStation. Oh, That's a big oof, man. That's a big oof. That was a big oof. <laughs> uh so my name's Ryan. Hi Ryan. And I'm an idiot. Hi Ryan. Sorry, forgot to <laughs> Forgot the most important part. I'm an idiot. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan. Um, this week, I'm an idiot because of a story I'd like to tell. Um, back in 19 Canteen, aka 2018, um, I went to Russia and I went to St. Petersburg and beautiful place, beautiful city, um, but I was a bit out of touch with the culture. Um, so we went, we went on a night out um, with, the, you know, there was like 30 of us. And we ended up going into this like really popular nightclub that was recommended by one of the locals. So we had this guide and he was like, oh yeah, it's like such a good nightclub. You guys should totally go there. So we went, um, the music started and there was all these like catwalks roundabout. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe like 20, 25 minutes in to being in that nightclub. Um, all the catwalks filled up with, with male strippers. And ah, um, uniforms such as scantily clad policemen firemen and the likes um and we'd paid something like 50 dollars to get in the equivalent of um so we had to stay there <laughs> no team so just because there were men the art wasn't as good <laughs> that, no that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying it's like we're idiots because that's not what we expected we just yeah no, you know no, were they doing <laughs> private dances um i didn't delve deep enough to find out I'm yeah. not sure you are a truly cultured man then, <laughs> if you didn't really participate you know, in the I culture. Know. So what's the point in going abroad if you're not going to engage with the culture? I know. It's a good point. It's a uh, good point. Right. Well, hello. My name's Caleb and I'm an idiot. Hello, Caleb. Hi, Caleb. Um, I'm an idiot because uh, mine isn't as exciting as either of your two's. Um, I accepted an invite to a fajita dinner from a vegetarian. Oh no! Yeah, and it wasn't like it wasn't good vegetarian food. Like it was, you know how you get like the fake chicken pieces that are made out of soy or like pea protein or something like that. Oh yeah, this was yeah. dead ass a fajita with chickpeas in it, and like the bland. I swear to God, she must have just mixed chickpeas with like a tin of chopped tomatoes and like served that <laughs> up in a wrap. But it was the worst thing I've ever tried in my life. That sounds to me like ungratefulness. This. This blesser, <laughs> this girl has went out of her way to provide you with some sustenance and you're just you're just not appreciating it. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right, actually. It does make me sound like a bit of an asshole. Also, <laughs> introduction sections just turned into judging each other. It's great. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> brilliant, isn't it? Good start. Yeah. Good start. <laughs> well, um, Caleb, seeing as this is your first guest appearance on the show, uh, do you maybe want to give us a little introduction to you, other than a vegetarian here? Yeah. Hi, my name's Caleb. Um and on top of being an um an idiot and a hater of vegetarians, um I'm an audio storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but I've got I've got a YouTube channel where I just uh, I make little podcasts, I make wee videos about uh, I mean the most recent videos are about personal finance, but to be honest with you, I'm just kinda throwing everything out there. 
just hoping that something will stick. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done a bit of gaming stuff in the past, but just now it's mostly just how to make money whilst you're locked inside. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. We'll give you yeah. links and stuff like that at the end, and I'll put them in the description. So if you like Caleb, we'll tell you where to get more. And if you want to make fat stacks, if you want to secure <laughs> the bag whilst you're locked in, then you better go and check out my videos. Brilliant. There we go. Yeah. Cool. So now we've done our introductions, we'll just dive into the episode. Uh, so when we were coming up with this episode, Caleb, we thought it'd be cool to combine Ryan and I's love of technology and, and science and stuff like that with your love of history. So mm-hmm. that kind of gave us our, our kind of topic of weird inventions in, in throughout war. Mm-hmm. So usually in war, that's when tons of technology and innovation happens just because you need to get the upper hand on your opponent. Mm-hmm. So it's like how we went from box planes, like those canvas box planes in World War One, to like full on jets at the end of World War Two. It's like yeah. quite a leap just because you got to get that upper hand. Like those blackbirds from Black Ops. Yeah, like the blackbird, yeah. which is the coolest plane known to man. Mm. But um, so the way we're going to do the episode is we've got a bunch of categories. Uh, and then within these categories, each of us will present what we found. And then we'll give it a score, rating it on creativity, obscurity and effectiveness. And then just to make it into a bit of a competition, whoever gets the most categories is the winner. And I don't know what you win, but you're the winner. Pride, probably. <laughs> Lovely. You win um, a spot on Caleb's personal finance course. Yeah. I'll let you into the the uh, the stock signals um, Discord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By GME. Cool. So we'll start off with round one. Round one, our title uh, was Espionage slash Assassinations. So who wants to start us off with that one? Oh, baby. Rory, I think you should go first. I think you should set the tone. Okay. So for mine is a, is, a, is a bit of an odd one. It's not really an assassination, but um, back in ye old World War II, uh, the British hatched a plan to, to add a little bit of sprinkling into Hitler's food to try and mess him up during the war. A little bit of space. It wasn't poison because Hitler had uh, a poison tester. So they'd be able to, to get that way before it got anywhere near Hitler. So mm. that wasn't going to work. So what they planned to do was they planned to dose his food with estrogen. What? So it, the idea was that over time, because of the estrogen, the female hormone, he'd become more effeminate and less aggressive. Oh my. And then his followers wouldn't see him as like a like a fiery leader anymore. And he'd, he'd become like nicer <laughs> and wouldn't be able to be the kind of treacherous leader he is now. Oh. On principle, I don't know if that's like a horrible, dumb idea or if it's like so bad that it's genius. Well, the reason it's quite bad is because it wouldn't actually make him more effeminate. Uh Because if just dosing him with estrogen would actually cause an imbalance Uh in his hormones and more than likely like make him angrier. (gasps) Because, you know, he'd get like sore around the breast area. He'd get like weird mood swings. You'd get headaches, nausea, that kind of stuff. It was more likely what would happen. Mm-hmm. And that would piss you off more than anything. So you'd, you'd probably be worse. Also, I feel like I feel like the Nazis could like spin that in a way that Hitler would come out on top, even in that situation. You know, he'd get like big, lovely, milky breasts. And he could, <laughs> I don't know, like the German people could suckle on his milk or something like that. And... <laughs> And then he'd the just be seen provider. as even more of a provider. Yep, exactly. Yeah. 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 If you thought Hitler was cool before, check out Sexy Hitler. Exactly. Ooh. Look at his big boobs. <laughs> I bet you the, the men in the German army would have loved that. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. But no, to answer your question earlier, Ryan, they, they didn't eventually do it. It didn't get past the. So the poison the, tester picked up on the estrogen? No, they just like they didn't go ahead with the plan because uh, I, I, I didn't, there's not a lot of information like. The reasoning, but I'm going to assume the reasoning is that it was a silly idea. (laughs) Okay, okay. So for the odd attack on Hitler, you guys, if you can give me a score out of 1 to 10, and remember we're rating it against effectiveness, creativity, and obscurity. So we have to combine all these in our head to give a single score. Right, okay, yeah. Okay, so do we just, will we just... Take note of this. In yeah, our just, head, vote, vote on my, hey, just vote on mine. Tell me the now. All right, uh-huh. okay. Well, I'll, I'll go first then. 
Yeah. Okay. For creativity, I'm going to give it like a. I'll, I'll give it like a seven. I, okay. I would I would have given it a five if it was just poisoning because I feel like poisoning is like one of the oldest tricks in the book. But yeah, boring. The estrogen part, you know, the idea that they were going to keep adding estrogen to his food over like a, a long period of time and just kind of yeah turn him into I don't know a big woman by the sounds of things. <laughs> he wanted to turn him into just a big woman. Um, I'll put, I'll give them a couple of extra points for that. So for creativity, I'm going to go for a seven. Um, obscurity, I'm going to go for. 10 that's just a wild idea <laughs> um and effectiveness you need to go zero yeah <laughs> <guess you do. laughs> what, so, so what's like, your combined score like, um so that is uh, so is this we're just adding these two yeah so like just a one to ten like arbitrary kind oh of thing. sorry oh but just in, but your way works too no nah, do you know what i'll just i'll go for an overall seven then oh yeah oh yeah. wow okay oh. interesting i am um, my combined score is five because okay. the effectiveness just brings everything like right down. That's um, true. That unfortunately, true. unfortunately for the uh, the conspirators. So I think it gives me an overall twelve. Right. If you guys have got something weird, try and beat that. Try and beat twelve. Okay. Okay. Hey, do you want to go ahead then? Yeah, I've I've got one about um, espionage. So we're going forward in time a little bit here. So we're going to um, the Cold War. Um, there was a guy called Robert Hansen. He was an FBI agent, and he was okay. tasked with discovering the identity of the KGB mole that had been leaking thousands of pages of classified information to the Russians. Um, little did everyone know, he was the mole. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, little um, crisscross. Yeah, so no one suspected it because he was a church-going father of six. Um, he was the son of a police officer, um, and he went to dental school. So he was going to be a dentist, then he, then he became a police officer, go, went through the ranks, um, you know, full life in, in, in yeah. the service. Um, so basically, he didn't like get approached or anything. He literally volunteered to spy for the Soviet military intelligence agency. Um, he, from that, he was able to um, inform the Soviets that one of their generals, um, Dmitry Polyakov, was actually a CIA informant, and they killed him. Um, so he's got blood on his hands, um, and he got paid like something like $2 million for his information, confessed it all to a priest, donated all his money to charity, um, and eventually, this was in 1979, um, and so they only found out in 2000, um, when the FBI, they, they thought there was a mole in the ranks, and they mm. paid a KGB officer, like in the Kremlin, to mm -hmm. counter spy the spy to find out who <laughs> their mole was, um, and then they basically he got arrested in um, Virginia after he basically just took a big duffel bag of classified documents to a park um, and dropped it there for the Russians. Um, and then afterwards, the FBI agents found a bag with fifty grand in cash intended as this guy's payment. Um, mm. he got arrested like immediately and basically see when, when they read him his Miranda rights he just went what took you so long <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's now in supermax prison in Colorado serving 15 life sentences supermax prison that sounds a bit yeah. excessive man yeah he's another person who's in the same prison as him is the the Unabomber God. so oh, this, is, right. this is like high profile Lovely. yeah mm. so there you go like the A-list of jails. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, if I was could go to any Supermax prison, it would be that one. <laughs> <laughs> there's interesting inmates, the meal plan is great, and there's just so much room for activities. Mm. Uh, that guy seemed to flip-flop a lot. He was a, a nice church-going boy. He told his priest things, you know, he gave to charity and all that. Mm -hmm. But then he's just like, yeah, I'll completely, um, you know, betray my country, get a guy killed. No worries. Mm -hmm. So I'd say for like, obscurity that ranks pretty high just because of what he's just all over the gaff yeah <laughs> yeah he doesn't seem to have like have a very distinct character arc yeah yeah he just doesn't really know what he wants to be no i like that i like a pragmatic character do you know what I mean? <laughs> he's just going whoever's paying him man he's game what, what's your scores for that um I see obscurity brings it up. Effectiveness, effectiveness is pretty solid if he was able to get away with it for that long and, you know, successfully crisscrossed and got rid of the other guy who was the informant. 
Top 10 uh, most effective KGB spies. <laughs> <laughs> Number 10. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to go an overall 8. Oh, sick. I think it's a pretty solid. Yeah, I think, I think I'll think i probably join you on an 8 as well. Oh, let yeah. me take note of this yeah. score. Oft, I was not expecting this. <laughs> God, oh, I didn't know my story would be just so effective and so, so good. amazing. <laughs> I'm such a good researcher. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. what have you got to knock off a 16? Right, okay, I'm not sure I've got what it takes to knock off a 16, but um, I've got two here. I think I'm going to go for this one here. So this one's quite a, quite a famous case. Um, okay. So Georgi Markov, um, a Bulgarian defector turned BBC journalist, um, he was very anti-communist um, mm-hmm. he defected to the UK and basically just started talking smack about uh, the communist party in Bulgaria um, so I should say this is in 1978 so this comes under uh, the Cold War um, so the story goes that Georgie was uh, told three months before he was assassinated that um, the Bulgarian government well, not the Bulgarian government, sorry, the KGB went after him. Mm-hmm. So um, it was kind of on edge, you know, but a bit uh, wary. Um, but one morning on his way to work, he, he went his normal route. That's probably his biggest mistake, not really changing his route when he knows the KGB are after him. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. But he went to a bus stop on uh, Waterloo Bridge in London, so a pretty busy area. Um, when a man walked up behind him and stabbed him in the back of a thigh with a with an umbrella, just kind of prodded him. Um, oh, I've heard of this one. So Georgi Markov turns round and he's like, I'm going to turn round and uh, this guy's going to apologise for just poking me with an umbrella. What a weirdo. Um, but the guy like boosted away and jumped in a taxi and sped off. Um, and he never really thought anything of it. So he went to work and he was fine. Um, but when he got home that night, his heart rate was a way up. Um, he oh. had uh, a fever. He was he was like on the verge of collapse when he was getting up and walking around. So he got rushed to hospital. Um, they couldn't figure out what was up with him. And four days later, he, he died. Um, so uh, whenever the doctors were doing his post-mortem, they found um, a small, what do you call that? A puncture wound in the back of his leg. Um, it was two millimetres in diameter. And when they were taking a sample of his flesh around the wound, a small metal pellet fell out of his leg with like two holes in it. Um, mm-hmm. And from tests that they ran on the pellet, they found that there was uh, ricin in the pellet. So mm-hmm. we don't know about ricin. It comes from the castor bean. And it's just like a super potent toxin. So if you hold it in your hand, um, the substance can like be, the toxins can be absorbed through your pores and it can kill you. Wow. Um, if you inhale it if it's crushed and someone like blows it in your face and you in- inhale it you can die um, and as well if you eat it you can die but obviously you- but what I thought was quite strange is you need to eat a lot of it to die but basically this okay. little tiny pellet with a little bit of rice and dust on it had killed him wow yeah. but uh... it was delivered from this umbrella the guy just poked him in the leg and it shot the pellet into his leg um, and yeah, he died four days later. That's insane. Yeah, there's always like when you read stories, they come up with these like weird and wonderful contraptions, or like even in like movies, but you don't think someone would actually build it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's like, what's the point in having it in an umbrella? It could just be in. Oh, I suppose because it's long. It's like a really long device, and you can pull yeah. from a distance. You don't need to bend down. Things like that. Plus, I mean, it is quite weird to be cutting about prodding people with it, but no one's <laughs> going to question you if you're walking down the street with an umbrella. You know what I mean? Yeah, if you came up with like. I, I don't know like a traditional means of of poison so when they're gonna know and then gonna get treated for it yeah uh-huh. but if you get probably a wee umbrella he's gonna care and that's another thing about ricin so you can't actually detect it in the human body and there also isn't an oh, antidote yeah. for it as well so he that's was he was done for super dangerous yeah yeah I, i'm gonna give that like probably oh, that, do you know what that like scores highly highly on all three metrics i think it's got to i think um, creativity maximum effectiveness maximum oh yeah you did it obscurity a little bit less than maximum um, I'm talking like that that's getting a solid 9 I was going to rate it the same as yours I was going to go 8 but I think either way Caleb takes the round yeah congratulations Caleb round 1 goes to you
Thank you very much. So a little chance for Ryan and I to get our own back in round two. <laughs> so round two Best game show is... Yeah. I'll tell you what, if I had my own game show, it'd be class. All right, I'm great at it. I've got the inflection, I've got the ooh and ready. <laughs> but yeah, round two is use of animals. So it's quite mm-hmm. common in most wars. Um, so if you guys found some pretty weird ones, I think that's where you're going to get the top scores. So do you want to start us off this time, Caleb? Yeah, I'll go for it. Right. So um, mine is going to be Project X-Ray from World War II, um, also known as Bat Bombs. I also did a bit of Bat Bombs. I had a bit about that as well. Yeah. <laughs> There's a guy called Lytle S. Adams who goes spelunking in caves in New Mexico just before um, Pearl Harbor, the Pearl Harbor attacks. So he's just splunking about the caves, cutting about. Apparently, it was like infatuated with bats. He like grew an unhealthy obsession with these bats. Not long after they came out of the caves, he was still on holiday in New Mexico, um, and the Pearl Harbor attacks happened. And he decided that he was going to come up with some creative way to use animals to get back at the Japanese. And like I said, it was infatuated with bats and he couldn't get over it. So he had an idea that he was going to strap these little incendiary bombs um, to bats and deploy them over cities in Japan to like cover a 40 mile radius. Mm-hmm. They were going to crawl into all the little nooks and crannies that people couldn't get to um, and then detonate their wee, their wee incendiary bombs. And the idea was that they could cause a lot of damage without putting their own people at risk. And um, they also there also wouldn't be like a large human cost on the Japanese end as well. So a, a big humanitarian, this man who wanted to like burn down all these buildings and whatnot. Yeah, what a great guy, yeah, great guy. lovely man, lovely man. So th- this actually got greenlit. They actually decided to go ahead with this, um, and they did a lot yeah. of testing. So they designed these little tiny bombs that went round the the bats' necks. Um, Although there was quite a lot of challenges that they faced. They faced uh, logistical challenges, like actually deploying these bats in Japan. Um, So what they did is they forced them into hibernation. Um, They put them, they they kept them in like ice trays. um, And then they put them in cardboard boxes to deploy them over Japan. But uh, the test didn't go so well. So whilst they were trying trying to deploy them, um, sometimes the bats just would not actually come out of their little cardboard boxes. Um, and then there's a few occasions where they couldn't actually control the bombs on the bats. So yeah. they burned down an aircraft hangar and they burned a general's car. Yeah. <laughs> so after they invested $2 million <laughs> and nearly a year of research into getting these bats deployed, uh, they just scrapped it completely and decided to focus on the atom bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think was a pretty good decision, to be fair. Yeah. I heard of that one before and, and yeah... It took so long for development that they just decided like the atom bomb has already overtaken this and like complexity and successfulness. So patch the bats. Patch the bats. They actually had a couple of different different options for the deployment because they had the ones where they would drop them in like essentially cardboard boxes in groups. But they also had this um, like custom casing. So it was like a like a regular bomb casing, but it was completely hollowed out and had compartments. Mm-hmm. So what they would do is they drop that like a regular bomb and then the parachutes would deploy and slow it down. Yeah. And then the flaps would open and they'd all fly out. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that they go and roost in the the roofs of all the, the Japanese buildings. Yeah. So they actually had like variants of how they were going to do it. So it was like they actually put so much into that project. So I thought it was really funny when it just blew up on their faces really <laughs> just patched it they were like nah man it's not worth nah, the hassle nah. can't control these bats these damn bats <laughs> I like the idea of like there's like a, a big aircraft hangar and there's bats just flying around like absolutely crazy and the scientist goes nah and they just walk out close the door and just bugger off <laughs> just leave them like nah it's sent these bats are not happy with getting these wee these wee bombs hung around their necks so they're like do you know what I'm going to burn down that man's aircraft hangar and I'm going to burn that bastard's car as well <laughs> <laughs> Mon the bats yeah. Mon the bats man up the bats brilliant um, yeah this one was crazy and I was like no so I think in terms of scores it's got to go pretty high just because well I guess effectiveness no mm-hmm. no but creativity and obscurity is pretty mental so I'm gonna go ahead and say a solid six. I'm I'm gonna give it a a six and a half. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're, we're dipping our toes into half points here. <laughs> <laughs> so didn't say it in the rules. Could tell yeah. one. Tell one. Right. Uh, well, 
I've got a, a nice a nice one here. So okay, um, you you might have seen in Lord of the Rings, elephants <laughs> were used uh, as as siege weapons, um, and all the mm-hmm. different people were riding the elephants, and they would just like use their tusks to just like ram people out the way. They were more like mammoths in Lord of the Rings, but this actually happened um, circa two seventy five BC in the Roman Greek Wars. Um, this has a, a a name that I can't pronounce. Um, but it's the Roman Greek Wars at round about this time. They didn't use them to ram people out the way or like break down castles because it's a bit unrealistic for an elephant to be able to on command charge and knock down like stone walls. So what they did use it for is to add like a shock factor to the battlefield. So like if you imagine these little you know soldiers with some spears just seeing like ten elephant riders running towards you, <laughs> you'd be like, oh, "Fuck this, mate! I am out, not a chance." So a lot of different historians have reported, however, that so the Greeks used these against the Romans, and the Romans had a secret weapon, and this is this is my point. Um, the secret weapon was that during the siege of Megara, the Romans doused some pigs. In crude oil and resin, set the pigs on fire, slapped them on the bum, um, and sent these incendiary squealing pigs running towards the elephants. And elephants are absolutely terrified of pigs. Like they had, they were just so baffled at what was running towards them. Um, they just bolted. They just like chucked all their riders off and just like bolted into the distance. And kind of makes a lot of sense to be honest. If you saw like a squealing flaming pig like running towards you like a fire demon um yeah so to combat this in the future elephant riders in the greek army were required to keep a pig amongst their elephants like when they were were training them so they get accustomed to pigs is it the pigs they're scared of or is it the fact they're on fire Um, insufficient data (laughs) because if i'm completely honest I'm not scared of a pig, but if there was a pig like hauling arse towards on me fire. on fire, <laughs> I might run from that. <laughs> and it's the fact they're like squealing. See, since you mentioned that, yeah. you know what popped into my head? Do you remember the 30, the, the, was it 30 to 40 feral hogs meme? Do you remember that? No. There was people yeah. on Twitter having a, an argument about like gun rights in America. And the uh-huh. guy was like, well, do you know what? If you want to take my guns off me, you can come and deal with the." 30 to 50 feral hogs that run around in my front garden kind of thing. (laughs) That just popped into my head as soon as you mentioned that. Yeah, so um, my my input is is the use of flaming pigs. (laughs) I really like the flaming pigs, I'm not going to lie. That's a a high score I wasn't expecting you to go that far back. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, some, mate, but old-fashioned war. This is ancient warfare. I'm gonna go for a seven. Cool. I think it's a bit better, but we're lacking uh, information on how scary these pigs were. Maybe I can bring up a picture of a flaming pig. Yeah, I, I think you're you're scoring them a bit harsh there. I'm I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a nine. Oh. The only reason I'm not giving you a ten is because um, it's not in the the time period that we had discussed. Oh, that is that. true. That's a cheesy doodle move. Oh, but you, you're telling me that <laughs> if the Germans sent elephants into France, <laughs> they <wouldn't> use pigs. <laughs> that the French wouldn't have used pigs. Right, I'll up my 10 8 then. You get a 9 and an 8. Oh, beautiful. So what's that? I think 17. Right. I'm hoping I'm hoping I can get some big points this round. So in, in your guys' idea, the, the animal becomes the weapon itself. So they become the bomb. What if the animal wasn't the bomb itself, but was in charge of controlling the bomb? Oh, no. Ooh. So back, back in the old World War II again, the Germans had just come up with a, a missile that they could guide. So not like lock on, but they could control it once it had left. And that gave them a massive advantage from where they could drop bombs onto ships. So they mm-hmm. could be a little bit further back uh, to stay out of the, the range of the guns, but could still guide a bomb into a ship. And that that was that was big. So rather than come up with like a like a technological remote control sort of deal, uh, the British decided they'd use pigeons. So <laughs> what they did was they trained these pigeons with screens, and they'd show them um, pictures of ships. And if they tapped on the ship, then they'd get food. So then the pigeons started to think that if they every time they hit this ship, they would get fed. And that trained them right. Whenever you see a ship, tap that. 
So what they did was they developed this bomb that they stored the pigeons in the nose cone of, uh, and then they used um, <laughs> like a sen touch sensitive uh, glass panel <laughs> that was connected to the flights at the back. So they would drop these bombs, and then the pigeons would tap on the screen, which would guide the bomb directly into ships. It worked. What? It really mm. did. Yeah, they had functioning versions uh, that they used throughout testing. Did we run out of pigeons? No. What happened was that the uh, they didn't have enough money to make these bombs because they were more expensive than just okay. dropping a bomb. Yeah. And the amount of time it took to train a pigeon to get it to that point yeah. didn't really justify. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm thinking of, right? So when you say that, where it's like, I'm imagining like a little touch screen and then it's like a camera or whatever and it's like looking towards this ship and it like t taps where the ship is yeah. um, to guide it towards it and stuff. It sounds to me like Google should be using those pigeons to develop like their machine learning algorithms for like, detecting <laughs> yeah. crosswalks on roads. <laughs> so I mean when you get a capture and it's like click on the cars. Yeah, imagine like um, seeing the, how annoying it is to do the capture things. Yeah. When you're signing into stuff, you've got your desk pigeon and they're in charge of <laughs> clicking through them so you don't have to do it ever again. <laughs> they work surprisingly well that you can train pigeons quite easily despite them not being the most intelligent of the bunch. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you can use them to, to send letters, then you can use them to control bombs. That's how it yeah. works. Take out ships. That's how it works. Yeah. See, is, you know how like the queen owns swans? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do, does she own pigeons as well? Does she own all the birds? Boris owns pigeons. Ah, and he wasn't born I yet. I don't know if you could so. own a pigeon. Have you ever met a Glasgow pigeon? <laughs> They're wee arseholes, aren't they? <laughs> a lot of them in your neck of the wood, Rory, that own pigeons. Oh, they? Yes, from working in the bookies 100%. There are a lot of people that keep pigeons. Wow. <laughs> really? I didn't know <laughs> Yes, people race pigeons. It's just another thing to bet on. Just another thing to bet on. Being so addicted to gambling, you need to like train different types of animals just to like widen your horizon. <laughs> yeah, you become like a really, really good animal trainer, and rather than just getting a job as an animal trainer, you use it. You use it to place bets. You use your powers for the dark side. <laughs> Brilliant. That's why we need more places to train real animal trainers. That's all we want. Yeah. But what are your scores for pigeon steered missiles? I'm thinking the difference between obscurity and creativity. It's like they're both like proportionate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like effectiveness because of how I mean, in action, yeah, it's effective. You can hit the ships, but typically it takes so long and a lot of resources to create this one missile system. You know, so effectiveness mm -hmm. takes a hit there. Creativity, that's high. That's super high. Obscurity is like between six and seven. Because it's like, you know, we've seen animals control stuff before, like monkeys sent into space. Um, I'm going to give it a, uh, I'm going to give it an, an eight, actually. I'll take an eight. Mm. Take no, that. actually, can I, I'm going to change that to seven and a half. <laughs> Stop at your half marks. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb? I think I'm going to give you, uh, I'll probably give you a seven as well, to be honest with you. It would have it scored higher, like it's impressive. It would have scored higher, though, if it had... I don't know, like they had actually used it yeah, if more. Yeah, got the deployment. Yeah, if they'd actually deployed it instead of just testing it. Do you know what I mean? You've got some martyr pigeons out there that were risking their life to, to win World War II for us. But I think I might not win any rounds today because most of mine didn't get deployed. <laughs> so that's a good sign. <laughs> I know, I, I'm not going to lie. So I who kind of forgot about there? that score. Um, Ryan did. Ryan with these squealing demon pigs. <laughs> yes <laughs> brilliant demon pigs take the cake once again yeah it's like the the, the pigs from minecraft the not not the actual the, the <laughs> nether pigs like the pigs from hell you know yeah. when you go to the nether oh the wee pigmen those ones yeah, yeah. yeah. the wee pigmen very scary so scores at the doors right now Caleb's got one Ryan's got one and because me and Ryan do the podcast together I'm just going to say that that's also my point too I'll share it with you <laughs> okay okay oh that's cute that you share points yeah, well, you know, it's just one of the few things that Ryan and I do that just make us like really cute as a, a podcast deal. <laughs> <laughs> so for round three, our overarching kind of category was tactics. Oh yeah, baby. Uh, and because you haven't started us off yet, Ryan, did you start us off last time? No, uh, it was me. I started off last time. Cool. 
Ah, Ryan. Sweet. Okay. You start us off. All right. I've got a doozy for yous. Right. All right. So I've got a tactic that um, a lot of different countries used in varying capacities throughout the 1900s through the wars. But the example I'm going to use is was used by British planes. Um, this is airborne leaflet propaganda. And it's okay. my favorite kind of psychological warfare. <laughs> favorite way to get my propaganda. <laughs> so what happened was British planes dropped information leaflets from planes um, mm-hmm. on, on the front lines um, down onto war camps, onto battlefields in various cities, which detailed how to effectively fake being sick in varying ways in order to get sent home. And it was quite extensive. So the the first chapter was how to fake severe debilitating back pain. And it was carefully constructed by different propagandists uh, and doctors so that it didn't go into so much detail that soldiers might be caught out by having like too much medical knowledge about the subject. So it didn't give any illness names. It just gave step-by-step instructions on how to act. And so... There's, there was things like debilitating back pain, how to make diarrhea-inducing concoctions, um, <laughs> stuff like that, so that soldiers that wanted to go home to their families that didn't want to be on the front line could just use this and just get sent home, basically. And obviously, you know, the German and enemy forces from, from Britain, uh, they wanted to deplete the numbers and get them sent home and, and stuff like that. So the Germans eventually caught on to this, so they started rejecting all claims from soldiers that they were sick. So if people came to them with like, oh, this is wrong with me, I can't walk, um, I'm severely ill, whatever it was, they just rejected all the claims. They were like, nah, you've been reading that propaganda leaflet. We, are, <laughs> we don't believe you. Um, and so what happened was, this just led to actual diseases being spread nice. like, amongst healthy soldiers <laughs> um, and damaging, <laughs> damaging the war efforts even more. And so, yeah, so as I said, that's been used by loads of different countries for example for turning forces against each other to spread fake news um but has declined after world war ii since the introduction of widespread like tv and radio communications because you can like fact check the propaganda and whatnot but yeah i thought that was a good one that is incredible so effective because if they faked it they got home Uh but if they don't fake it then the disease gets spread and they deplete numbers anyway so it's like a it's a failsafe. Like you definitely <laughs> yeah. send in at least some troops away. Yeah. No, that that is a good one. So that was the the British army would fly over German territory and drop yeah. on them. They they would fly over like occupied territory where whatever countries there was fighting happening in, and whether it's like you know it could be f- French um, French villages mm-hmm. because the Germans went there to like round up people that they didn't like and sort of like stormed people's houses and what's not. And so these leaflets were just everywhere. Whenever, you know, marching through the lands, through the bunkers and stuff, yeah. they were just sitting about. That's so funny. See, I think that's that, That's actually really smart because I swear, see, if it was like a dum-dum like me that was in charge, I would have just been talking mad shit. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean? I would have I just been like, y'all are whack. Y'all, y'all are shit at this, this war stuff. Y'all should just give up. If you were in charge of who? If I was in charge of like the, the British Army or like oh, right. any kind of strategy at all, I would have been dropping leaflets being like, y'all should just give up. We're going to win anyway. Oh, right. <laughs> <Idiots>. I see. <laughs> <laughs> like, not any cleverly crafted ruses. It was just, he no. just goes, nah, just stop. Just Yeah, just smack talk. Just straight up smack talk. <laughs> it's, it's like British bombers, like really expensive B-12 bombers just thundering through the skies. Like... <laughs> The cargo hatch opens and it's just this big, massive, like huge boxes of leaflet, propaganda leaflet spread across the whole landmass of France and Germany. And it's like the German soldiers just pick up the the leaflet and it's from Caleb. <laughs> open it up and it's like, your mum gay. <laughs> just photocopies of like Matt Ars. <laughs> I mean, that would work. Guarantee it. Yeah. Right. Scores for Ryan then. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it. Uh, it was very effective by the sounds of things. Well, quite effective by the sounds of things. Creativity. I think it's quite it's quite high as well. And what was it? Obscurity as well. Yeah. See, I would mm-hmm. I'd probably score it a bit higher on obscurity. Um, if if it wasn't like if if misinformation like to enemies wasn't like such a popular tactic before. 
true, I think the true. creativity comes in like with them just kind of like dropping it from the air because I think that was probably one of the first opportunities that they got to do that World War Two. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll I'm going to give it give it a seven. Give it a seven. Ah, oh, so I was going to say a six point five. Oh, you're just mad at me. <laughs> no, I was, I was actually thinking that along the same lines as Caleb, that it's a uh, kind of obscure, quite creative and effective, but it's like mm-hmm. not wild. So, yeah, six point five for me. I, I was thinking about going for a half score, but I, I, I patched it. I didn't want to stoop to your level, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> so for mine, it includes a little invention. So when the army used to drop crates and and supplies and things down in the ground, they obviously had to use parachutes to bring it down slowly and safely. Mm-hmm. But that meant it could get relatively easily shot out of the sky or it could drift off target or get lost or whatever. So it worked, but it wasn't that effective. So they came up with an idea. It's called the Hagile. So essentially it was a, a platform that they put the supplies on top of and then they drop it from the airplane. And what it had is like a little kind of sensor that hung on like beneath it. And that was called the plumb bob. So essentially <laughs> uh, like a button that hangs. So that sense that was before it, it would hit the ground first and then that would cause rockets on this platform to fire. No. Which would then bring it to a slow descent on the final bit of its journey. So it could race down from the sky and then the last little bit was rocket assisted on the way down. And that was called the Hagile. That was in experimentation for two and a half years, uh, but they didn't really get it right. Mm. So Rory... What I'm thinking is, see this plumb bob, how long was it? So that they had to experiment with that. Because right. it had to be the, the length that the rockets would like allow it to travel. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. So they experimented with that, they experimented with thrust, and they experimented with placement of the rockets. And that right. two, in two and a half years, they got it to work a couple of times. What, what I'm thinking is, see if your plumb bob is like, let's say, I don't know, like what a hundred meters or something right yeah and that i don't think it was that long okay yeah well if it was this sensor gets activated why did it not just pull a parachute oh because a parachute like really close to the ground isn't particularly effective it won't have enough time to slow you and it won't have enough air to so like the reason it was rockets is because it would be really close to the ground and then they would just do the the tiny little bit of travel it had left like a couple of meters do you do you lose the rockets uh no they're like um like retrofire, you know when they like fitted one, so it'd be like same way that like a pipe bomb looks that's filled with the fuel. Yeah. So the actual rocket was part of the frame, and it was just the the fuel inside. So you can recover it and use it again. Yeah. Ah. Okay. F- providing that you don't wreck it on entry, yes. Mm. But then you'd have to like mix a certain amount that fitted the cargo weight, because obviously <laughs> yeah. cargo is distributed in different ways, it's different amounts. So it would have been like a logistical nightmare to use it for everything. But the idea of like using the rockets to land isn't mental because that's how they landed the Curiosity rovers on Mars. They dropped the pod and then it fired its rockets beforehand and then lowered the yeah. the rover down. So mm. the idea was there, but the execution was not at yeah. all. On sustainability, I'm going to score it really low. Me too. Mm. I was going to say. <laughs> it was a, a polluting method. Yeah. yeah. What's wrong with Canvas? Parachutes, yeah. <laughs> organic bamboo parachutes. That's what we need. <laughs> you could turn them into Converse afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, that's an interesting one. I like how forward thinking it was. So they're like, this has been used like now, effectively, albeit in atmospheres that have a much lower gravitational constant, so it's easier to use on yeah. other planets. However, let's think uh, creativity. I'm going to give creativity high because it's forward thinking and it does work mm-hmm. like as a mechanism these days obscurity gonna score it low on us obscurity because it's like a 10 year old could come up with that idea oh i just put rockets okay. on it you know yeah um chuck it chuck a jetpack on it um effectiveness low as well i'm gonna go at a five that's fair i think i'm i think i'm gonna go for a five as well to be honest with you a solid 10 yeah yeah it looks like it's gonna be up to you to beat ryan Caleb. okay let's see so let me set the scene. 1948, <laughs> the newly found state of Israel has declared its independence. Oh, this takes me back. And um, a United Arab League um, is all descending on Tel Aviv, trying to overthrow this um, this new Israeli state. Um, so basically, 
Israel didn't have a very good army at the time. They weren't as um, well equipped as they are now um, and they were in a bit of a pickle. So um, from the north, they're getting attacked by the Syrians. They're getting attacked by the Lebanese as well. Um, in the east, they're getting attacked by Iraq. And in the south, they're getting attacked by Egypt. Mm-hmm. And later on in 1948, uh, Egypt had pushed all the way to Tel Aviv. So they were about to overthrow um, the Israeli state and it was, it was going to go kaput. But uh, a lot of the Ashkenaz, Ashkenazi Jews um, from Europe who had come to Israel to found this new Jewish state had a bright idea to kind of hold back uh, the Egyptians coming up to, to Tel Aviv from the south. Um, so I should say that the air capabilities of the Arab League they, they 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 didn't have bombs. They didn't have like planes to like fly over and drop bombs on Israel or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Israel had a few crop dusters, and they had some assistance from the British Army and some assistance from the American Army. So some of the Ashkenazi Jews remembered that seltzer water, like the bottles that they came in, you know, like the bottles that has like the little lever at the back, and you squish it, and carbonated water comes out. Yeah. Uh-huh. When you drop that from a height, it makes the same sound as a bomb, and when it lands. <laughs> uh-huh. It sounds like a bomb as well. So their idea was that they would fly over where the Egyptians had advanced to, advanced to, sorry, and they were going to drop these uh, seltzer bottles on them to like give the impression that they were under attack from the sky with like bombs and whatnot, which obviously they weren't. So they flew over the top of them, dropped these seltzer bottles down on them, and the Egyptians retreated. And um, within days, I'm pretty sure within days, they had actually, what's that called again? I've forgotten the word, a truce. They'd come to some kind of agreement, basically, that the, the Arab League were going to pull out and Israel was going to settle where they were. <laughs> Mad. That was yeah. class. That's so good. It's like, ha you thought we were going to bomb you. <laughs> Get it on. <laughs> Get pranked, nerds. Yeah, total prank. <laughs> Just signed the papers and you're like, cool, we're all safe, whatever. And they go, hey, by the way, see those bombs. That was just our war. It was oh, just man. our war, mate. What, what bloody bombs? <laughs> they're they're at the table juice, signing mate. the papers and all that. Here, you really scared us with the bombs. We thought we thought you were going to explode fuck out us. All that what bombs, mate? <laughs> <laughs> what bombs? There were no bombs. <laughs> Tell you what, water bottles have had crazy uses. Pretend to be bombs, and also let's kids pretend that they're regular bikes or more bikes. If you jam them in the back spots. Oh, so yeah. true. More bottles got too many uses. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. That's um that gets a uh, high effectiveness, high creativity, high obscurity. That's just like yeah. a, a good a good scorer. I want to say as well, I wrote this in my notes. They made a movie about it called Cast oh, the Big Shadow. Yeah. Starring Kirk Douglas in 1966. So when you were telling the story, I thought that it was going to be like they used these bombs as like cover to invade the city. To make mm. people like get on the back foot and start running, and mm. they use that as like military advantage. And I was thinking that'd be a sick Call of Duty mission. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's gonna nine and a half from me. Yeah, I might just round it out and give a ten. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Works perfect, doesn't it? Did the job, and who would have thought chucking a bottle at a plane would scare people? Yeah, beautiful. There you go. Love it. Last round, either Ryan's going to win it for us, essentially, and we'll get a tie, and we don't have to give Caleb our podcast, because if he won, that'd be quite embarrassing. Oh, yeah. Relinquish ownership of the podcast. Yep, I take over, Idiots Anonymous. It's just Hostile takeover. (laughs) It's just me telling stories about how I'm an idiot for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) For weeks on end. (laughs) It's just me like, right, listen, guys, you don't get it. I am so stupid. I am actually so <laughs> fucking dumb. So for our, our last round of the podcast, it's large-scale weapons. So any weapon is a big boy, essentially. Do you want me to go first? Go for it. Yeah. Cool. Have you ever heard of dam busters? I yeah. have. They were used quite effectively in World War Two, I believe it was World War Two. The idea is that you'd have a bomb hanging off of a plane, you'd spin it really fast, mm-hmm. then you'd drop it so that it could hit the water, skate along, and then break a dam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Really effective, really quite cool. So they had a similar idea for the land that they tried to roll out uh, that was called the Great Pandandrum. (laughs) So what it was essentially was like a big 
you know, like the spools you get uh, for threads. So they've got two big wheels in the middle and then yeah. got like a column in yeah, the like center. Yeah, like a spool. Yeah. So it was one of them and it had little rockets strapped along the outside of the wheel that would make <laughs> it spin. So the idea is what you'd do is you'd have these on the landers at Normandy, you'd light the fuses and then the, the rockets would propel these forward and they'd go into like where they had built like a little shelter or like a, a point they can't get past. It would fly into that and blow up, which means their troops could progress. Essentially, that's what it was for. It was supposed to be like a secret mission and no one was supposed to know about it, but they tested it on Blackpool Beach. And at that point, that was still like people still went there on their holidays or just to <laughs> chill. <Yeah. laughs> so they tested this in front of just tons of folk. <laughs> Imagine pulling up to the beach and a big pandandrum comes flying through. <laughs> and these things are like I'm, 10 feet tall as well. <laughs> oh, they were, ma- they were massive. Massive. Mate, you're riding a donkey on Blackpool Beach and a pandandrum just yeah. pulls up next to you. <laughs> <laughs> a pandandrum is my other car. <laughs> they, they tested these for quite a while. But as for most of the things I've talked about, it wasn't that great. So what would commonly happen is one of the rockets would either detach or like could run out early and that would cause there to be an imbalance and it would just fly off in some random direction. <laughs> so it would just go nowhere near where it was supposed to go. <laughs> so they tried oh. to add like a third wheel for stability and it was even worse. This is like a tricycle. I'm imagining like... Um, them rocking up to Blackpool Beach and it just this this thing just flies away out into the sea. Or even worse, flies into the town, you know? And it's like, you know that little kid on the tricycle from the Incredibles when he sees like Mr. Incredible lift the car? He's just standing there with a lollipop, like with his jaw dropping. Like all these kids on Blackpool Beach were like some ice cream. It's just like <laughs> Yeah, so cool idea based on something that was effective. I just didn't work in the slightest. I can just imagine it in like, you know, like 10 Cloverfield Lane where like um, if you go outside, the aliens come and attack you and they like cut about in their big alien cars or whatever. I just mm-hmm. like imagine Pandandrums as like some kind of alien vehicle. <laughs> yeah, you step outside of Jordan and you just, as the rockets start and it's like I'm barreling down the street. <laughs> It's like something from 1984 or something like that. They use the pandandrums to like enforce curfew. (laughs) Would you rather have a pandandrum or a flaming squealing pig run towards you? Yeah, what's scary? (laughs) (laughs) That needs a Facebook poll. (laughs) So what's scarier? (laughs) Fiery pigs or giant spinning wheels? (laughs) Right, what did I get for scores for that? I'm going to guess not very high because it doesn't work again. <laughs> three. Three? <laughs> you know what, just, for, just, just because I laughed at it so hard, that was actually, the pandandrum was the one I was going to pitch as well. Um, so I'm going to give it, I'm, I'm going to give it a seven. I love the pandandrum. I think oh, it's, really? just, so it's a nice <laughs> yes. game. Man. Do, you know, do you know what I'm thinking as well? Like those shite, Chinese fireworks that you buy from like the dodgy corner the car wheels yeah (laughs) and do you know what it is as well like if it doesn't have enough weight to it like see if the see if like the rotational force like overcomes the friction like by a huge amount it'll just like instead of going forwards it'll just like spin in place and just bounce up and down yep (laughs) you know so it'll just be flying around in circles inside the boat or whatever that you're launching it from and just explode you because it doesn't go anywhere what have you what have you got to try and beat that then ryan i have (laughs) um so this let, let me set the scene so imagine this you're an innovator and you're tasked by your your military seniors to come up with a novel effective way of bringing down enemy aircraft low flying aircraft that we're attacking. So you think to yourself, what do planes need and what do helicopters need to to fly? Um, You might be thinking wings or some form of rotating metal. They need thrust, so they need air, you know? So air is very important for these flight vehicles. So what this, this innovator decided to do was attach a giant metal tube to a tank. They attach this big metal tube and at the bottom of the tube, um, they, they react hydrogen and oxygen together, which expels a lot of energy. 
Um, and it's, remember those guns, those like air guns, not that shoot pellets, but the one, the ones that you pull back the diaphragm and you let it go, and it just like blasts air. Yeah, yeah, you blast air at people. Yeah. Big one of those, big uh, chemical powered one of those. And so they thought if they could blast high powered gusts of air at airplanes and low flying vehicles, um, they would just get disrupted and fall out the sky. D- did they get disrupted and fall out the sky? Um, they absolutely categorically did not um, because this was a terrible idea um, and the gust of wind was nowhere near powerful enough to take these things down and you're basically reacting high powered elements together at ground level while you've got troops surrounding you and it was it was it was not not effect- effective so I'm going to score my own effectiveness <laughs> See if you put like a big gust of wind at a plane. Imagine it's head on and it just like flies up higher, drops its bomb, and it's got a better angle. <laughs> oh yeah, just wah, giving wah, them a way wah. to escape. Yeah, I'm thinking this type of thing. Like if you aimed it perfectly, and if you had like a huge amount of power coming out of it, you could for sure like take down a helicopter because those things are death traps. Yeah, I'm scared of helicopters. They are the devil's work, and I do not trust them. I don't know yeah. anything about engineering and I think they're pretty shit as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Categorically. We are not friends with helicopters here at this podcast. This podcast does not endorse the use of helicopters. That's the opinion from the scientists and the layman. <laughs> What's my score? I mean, creativity is quite good, but everything else just doesn't really like four. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll give it a five. I'll give it a five. So the one I'm going for is the V3 rocket. Um, okay. So the V3 rocket is like the big brother of the Gustav's cannon. You know about the Gustav's cannon? Is that the, that that's the thing? The there's like essentially a massive barrel. Yep. It it was a railway gun that they that they used to bomb Paris from thirty miles away. It was just like this big artillery thing that could just launch bombs thirty miles. Um, and they like kind of scooted it about on rails. So basically, the Germans were like, do you know what? What if we could shoot a cannon at London from Poland? (laughs) So what Uh they did is they dug a really big hole. So this gun was 130 metres long. What? Over 400 feet long. They dug it into the side of a hill. They had it at the exactly correct angle so that if they launched a projectile out of it, that it would actually hit London. And the way it worked is it was... Lots of different barrels connected together with um, different charges in them. So the idea Mm -hmm. was that the first charges would go off, accelerate it up into the next barrel, another charge would go off, it would just kind of continue. And mm -hmm. at one point, I think it was like 15 different barrels that they had. So by the time it came out of it, the idea was that by the time it came out the end of the barrel, it would have enough velocity behind it to reach London, but obviously it didn't. So they just had like this really big, massive gun built on the side of a hill that they could shoot things really far out of. And they got the timing right so that like, which I thought was quite impressive, that they could like shoot a projectile out of it and they could have the charges go off at the exact right time to continue the momentum. Oh, but yeah, like I said, never got used. Uh, and um, they they had it built up in 1942. So from 1942 to 1945, I never got used. Do you know how far it went? Um, I don't. I don't think I know that much to be honest with you. Like shells were 140 kilos. That's that's pretty cool. Oh, what? Big heavy boys. Well, it makes sense. Yeah, the mm. more mass it has, the more momentum it can have, right? Something like that. That's how science works, right? Imagine being the scientist and that you've got all the charges to go, and you're like, we're gonna do this. My little drawing of my super huge mortar is gonna work perfectly, and then it like every charge goes off. You're like, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening. Then it comes out the end of the barrel and just goes straight down to the ground. Goes, it just rolls out. <laughs> Plonk. Yeah. You're like, oh no. <laughs> that would be so like so, so lackluster watching everything go perfectly just for it not to work. I bet there's an alternate timeline in which that worked and London is destroyed. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, there's got to be. Even then, though, how much damage can something like that actually do to London? I mean, yeah, because you, could, you couldn't swivel it, could you? No, it was fixed in place. Yeah, it goes through someone's window. <laughs> Just like, oh, what the fuck? what's that? Every, every, every couple of days, this big brick comes through my window. <laughs> well, actually, Ryan, they could launch 600 of them per hour. So 
600 oh. of them coming through your window what per a poor hour. guy yeah. yeah and like i said it, it, they couldn't move it either so like as soon as they figured out where this this i mean to be honest with you it's like a, a, a minor annoyance do you know what i mean once they realize where this bit of a pain in the arse is coming from they just like kind of show up bomb it and that's it done yeah but then all Britain do is they set up a trampoline exactly where it lands <laughs> and just launch it straight back again. <laughs> Trap card. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, that one is cool though, isn't it? Like, oh, the, the amount of yeah. time and effort and like calculation that must have gone into that. Like the guy comes home from war and he's like, oh, I just... I just hate traveling. I just want to spend more time with my family. <sighs> See if there was a way to just fight this war, like work from home. <laughs> <laughs> he built in his garden. World <laughs> War Two, work from home edition. Creativity and obscurity, I think, are pretty high, but effectiveness it clearly is next to none. Yeah. Uh, seven. I'm going to give it a seven, just because I like it. Yep. Um, gets a seven from me as well. And that means Caleb takes that round, another round, which means he won three of them. Oh, Am baby. I right in saying that? You earned a gold medal. So I think he owns the podcast now, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I All do. rights have been transferred. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, really quickly, if you did some extra research, you want to like round off some of the cool things you found? Because I found an iceberg carrier that was made out of a block of ice. Uh, a <laughs> fart bomb that they were going to use to make everyone like gag while they were trying to take shots and miss. I had um, a, a, a curved barrel that the Germans would use so they could fire from inside of a, a bunker and fire into this curved pipe and fire towards troops. Oh, cool. That's quite cool. Well, I've got I've got one to round off. Um, weaponized rats. The USSR infected um, rats with uh, rabbit fever at the Battle of Stalingrad. Um, and kind of left it in their encampments. And when the German troops moved in, um, they all got infected with rabbit fever. But it kind of backfired because more Russian civilians got infected with rabbit fever than German soldiers. That mutated throughout the next uh, few decades um, into disco fever. (laughs) 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 Do you have any other cool ones, Caleb? Um, There was another funny one as well for the, the animals that we never brought up. I'm, I say funny. Uh, it was anti-tank dogs, basically yeah. suicide bombers. Mm. Yeah, those were wild because it was the Russians tried to use them against the Germans, but initially trained them on Russian tanks. Mm. So they would run towards the German tanks, then run back and climb under the the Russian the ones Russian to bomb tank, themselves. Yeah. But then eventually, when they trained them with German tanks, mm. they were actually really good. Yeah, apparently they they destroyed up to three hundred Panzers. Three hundred Panzers. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. dogs. That's kind of sad. I know. 300 dead dogs, what do you think about it? Yeah. I don't really care about the tanks. Yeah, it's more the dogs. Yeah. Yeah. The things you do for your country. One really sad story. Um, It was about a vehicle. It was about a really, really, really bad spaceship (laughs) (laughs) that was used in the Cold War. When, during the space race, essentially Russian Russian engineers built this this spaceship um, and cosmonaut Vladimir Komarov was due to be going into this space vehicle to go up to space and he inspected it himself and he found a total of 203 errors in the form of like poor welding, uh, wrong bolts being used, uh, things like not mounted down, stuff like that um, and they sent him up anyway. Um, and the vehicle was shoddily constructed it was running low on fuel because it just leaked fuel and reportedly this is really sad I'm just laughing I don't know why I'm laughing it's really sad I Um, still laugh (laughs) and uh, later he ended up crashing full speed to earth and what was left of his body was recovered by the Soviet Union and kept under wraps and apparently listening posts heard him in in his last journey cursing Russia and damning the Russian people to death for putting them in a botched spaceship. Oh God, that is quite morbid. Yeah, what a lovely story to to bring us to an end. You can edit that out. <laughs> yeah. So on Ryan's frankly morbid story, it's time to end. Caleb, if people listening thought, here, that boy was really cool and I really liked him and I want to see more of him, where can they find you? Um, if you want to come and find me, um. <laughs> I don't know why that sounds so strange. <laughs> um, if you want to come and find me, 
if you want to if you want to get in, in touch you want to follow me you want to see whatever, what, what I'm up to um, my Twitter is at Caleb Stu underscore 97 Instagram is Caleb underscore Stu 97 and then my YouTube channel is just Caleb Stewart EW cool I'll have those links in the description I've always wanted to say that thanks for joining <laughs> us that was really fun no problem thank you very much Caleb a, it was a hoot and a half um, and I'm <laughs> sorry I had to I had to throw you off your own show um, but you understand it's the rules of the game so that is true from uh, next week onwards it'll be just Caleb just <laughs> describing things he doesn't understand and yeah. telling you how much of an idiot he is so hopefully you know you keep notifications turned on for that because that'll be a hit that bell button <laughs> yeah hit that hit that bell button subscribe and like like Rudy said tune in next week I'm just going to tell you how fucking dumb I am <laughs> that well, sounds great Thanks again, Caleb, and thanks to everyone that gave the episode a listen. That's all from us. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.